really just didn't want to put makeup on twice today. <laughs> Easy, breezy, beautiful. beautiful says you are beautiful. All right, let me tell you this neighborhood uh, drama. Hear all about it. Okay. Ho, ho, ho. So this one is from next door and it's labeled Christmas lights. I feel like we read this one last year. Oh, well. Uh, hello. I know everyone loves this, time, loves this time of the year, but can we please be considerate of some of us and please cut your lights off at 7.30 p.m.? <laughs> what? That's so early. My cats are trying to sleep and they find the lights distracting. <laughs> First, I, I do think we read that one last year, but <laughs> that I'm glad you read it again because... No, lady. Screw you. Screw your cat. <laughs> Whatever. They're nocturnal anyway. Uh, but what if it was like one of those like uh, lights that uh, go to music? So it's like constantly changing, <laughs> and the cats are just like like a, a laser it. show. <laughs> you hear cats going up and down the hallway. <laughs> My cats do that anyway. Yeah, that's true. You're right. A cat. Cat, not cats. Your cats. Robin could be too. Yeah, she she's. Pretty I feel fat. like she has two different personalities. Oh, <laughs> she's pretty fat. <laughs> she is. Alice Alice was petting her earlier, and she's like, she's fat, and I'm like, yes, yeah, she is. <laughs> her little belly hangs below her. <laughs> I like flibble it sometimes. I don't know what that word. I, I just we, made up a word. We had cats flibble. that were like that. Yeah, she's happy. Bud Bud was super fat. My mom said she looks prettier fat. So, aww, you know, I think she's beautiful either way. Yeah, easy breezy, beautiful. Okay, do you want to hear? Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. My so most. One th sorry, this is our true crime paranormal podcast. That's oh, yeah. Brie. And that's Amy. And one thing. Or what's with the neighbors? What's with the neighbors, yes. One thing I am going to use as an excuse for how long this episode is, is it is a Christmas present to you. Yes, to hear our, our soothing voices. Soothing voices. While we lure you to sleep on this Christmas day. Okay, goodbye. Yep. Cool. Uh, Go ahead. With murder and scary with stuff. With murder and scary stuff. Scar All right. It's the most wonderful time of a year. There's scary kids jingle belling and everyone telling of being in here. I don't know what that says. There'll and be scary, scary ghost, ghost stories and tales of the glories. A Christmas is long, long ago. Wow, I am butchering that. Yeah, you are. So it's time for my scary ghost stories segment. And I have Yay. a great story for you today. This okay. is actually probably the hardest I've ever worked in a story ever. Really? And that's saying something because sometimes I really got to research them. I, actually, I mean, you do too, but yeah. Brie, I actually feel like that about this one too. I had to watch like five different documentaries. Nice. And read all a bunch of articles. Well, you guys are in for a good one, then. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Are Rub you ready? It. She's rubbing her hands together. All right. Like. So uh, I found uh, this story was, I uh, found it on my computer. Oh, nice. It's, I'll just, I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to talk about the title or just anything. Just go. I'll just do it. Later. Jump in. All right. Feet first. It was November 30th. And as a mom, this comes with a lot of future responsibilities throughout the month. Decorating mm -hmm. for Christmas, baking cookies, wrapping presents, and getting out the damn elf. You know, trying to make the season magical and full of cheer. Our elf's name was Elfie. 
oh. original. Original. He wasn't anything too out of the ordinary. After all, he was a secondhand purchase. But he was certainly special to the girls. A secondhand elf? <laughs> I don't like I this. mean, they are pretty pricey. I mean, yeah, but ooh, I don't like this already. <laughs> To keep the cheer alive with us parents, we tend to make our elf a little more mischievous. Sure, sure, sure. Don't get me wrong. He brings lots of gifts for our girls, Sarah and Kate. Does the silly snow angels and flower or fine candy canes, but we too need our entertainment. Yeah. So if Elfie that is hanging out with Bikini Barbie or smelling flower instead of playing in it, it's all fun and games and the kids are too young to ask questions anyways. Perfect. After one successful day of Elf on the Shelf fun, the kids went to bed. Since tomorrow would bring an earlier start, Jim joined them. I wasn't exactly motivated and just wanted to go to bed. So Jim's the dad? Yes, as well. So I simply put Elfie on the tree with a sign saying, let's have a nice day. Elfie's always watching. Easy and done. The next morning, the girls excitedly woke me up to tell me they'd found him on the tree. Yes, another successful find for them. That's what it's all about, right? I got ready for the day and came out to make breakfast to start another day of stay-at-home mom duties. (laughs) When I came, I know how that is. When I came out, my five-year-old, who couldn't quite read yet, proudly asked if she could read the sign for me so I could confirm. When I approached the tree, I noticed Jim must have added a little extra pizzazz by cutting out cute snowflakes and hanging them all around the tree. And when I looked at Elfie... His sewn-on hat was now missing, which, and he seemed to be facing a different direction. Uh-oh. Probably in my head, I was drained when I put him out last night, so no big deal. Sure. I shook it off and looked around for his hat, figuring it had fallen off and didn't notice. I'll find it eventually, or maybe just replace, replace it um, from online. Another night came, and tonight was my turn to be beyond exhausted, so I put Jim in charge while I soak in a hot shower and pass out dreaming of wine and sugar plums, or something (laughs) like that. Right at 7 a.m., I was again woken up to squeals of, Mom, Mom, come see where we found Elfie. Since it was a mystery to me this morning, I'm not going to lie, I was a bit excited too. (laughs) Where did my mischievous husband put him this time? They led me to the playroom where we found more cute snowflakes and Elfie at the play kitchen table with an empty play setting as if he was waiting for his dinner and what looked like a stuffed unicorn cooking in the microwave. I simply laughed and texted Jim that he did a good job with Elfie. The girls obviously saw this as pure silliness, but our adult deranged heads got it for sure. (laughs) Elfie was going to eat a unicorn. (laughs) Today was a rough day for the girls. Quite a bit of sassiness from Sarah and Kate through her fair share of tantrums. When days like this come during the holiday season, it's easy to scare them by telling them Elfie will report this to Santa and sometimes not come the next day. Right. Well, this warning was brought up many times and the behavior continued, so of course I had to stick to my word. That night, I grabbed Elfie and put him safely in a drawer in my room. I woke up the next morning to disappointed children and mom guilt, but that's parenting. Yep. I got up, and when I, when I came into the kitchen, I found more snowflakes, an untouched play setting, and the table, uh, or at the table, which I assumed Jim set up his breakfast and realized he was running too late to eat or bother to even clean up. No biggie. I also found dishes in the sink and the microwave open with a baby doll head inside, Ew. or with a baby doll inside. What the? I asked Jim what, what in the world he was doing when he left. As I suspected, he was in a rush threw his dishes in the sink, and dipped out. 
He said everything was normal when he left and had to quickly end the phone call because of a work crisis. So real life problems making me realize this was not something to obsess over. Right. Maybe Jim or the girls are playing with me or Jim was exhausted somehow and innocently put a baby doll head in the microwave and attempts to clean up (laughs) or help me before he left work. I don't know. Bottom line is there's lots of explanations. I grabbed the clean place setting to put them away while putting away the cutlery. I found Elfie's hat. Not only that, but I seem to be missing a steak knife, which I assume Jim packed in his lunchbox. Yeah. I pulled out the hot glue gun to put his hat back on, attempting not to burn a hole through the plastic head. And just like that, he looked like new again. Today was a better day for the girls. Schoolwork was done, nice things were said, and meals were eaten, which meant Elfie could return. I positioned him on the shelf. Ironic. (laughs) With some homemade binoculars and a sign saying, Girls, Santa has given me the important mission today to report back nice things each of you do today. Elfie's always watching. I was quite proud of myself for this one. Yeah. To add final touches, I also put comments on their artwork and schoolwork on the fridge saying, keep up the good work. And wow, what a natural Picasso. Oh, I love that. That's a cute one. Um, it was cute, and I felt it encouraged good behavior. That night, I tossed and turned, and at one point, got up to use the bathroom and grabbed a glass of water from the kitchen. When I came out to the dark room lit up by clocks, which told me it was 2.30 in the morning, I felt like eyes were on me, like something was watching me and judging me. Ew, it was Elfie. I tried to shake off the feeling of paranoia and went back to bed. The restlessness continued. Around 3 or 3, I was woken up by my cat, Jingles, who sounded like he was dipped, he dipped into a great stash of catnip. The next morning, when I woke up, Sarah and Kate were crying and said that Elfie was punishing them. I came out and found their fridge artwork was torn into three <gasps> separate tears as if Wolverine or Jingles visited us last night. I walked to the shelf where Elfie was and found him where I left him, but he seemed slightly off position and a sign saying, Girls, Satan has given me the important mission this season to punish the naughty children by taking their souls. Oh my gosh, Bree. Elfie's always watching. Along with this gut-wrenching message was the cute snowflakes, which seemed to be the calling card of Jim. Jim. Jim, the husband. Lastly, you know, the one who likes to play the mischievous pranks. Gotcha. Lastly, I noticed why he seemed to be off position. He was holding a knife. Oh. Okay. That's Jim normal. had gone way too far tinkering with Elfie this time. A <laughs> little, little bit. A little, a little too far. <laughs> the girls were heartbroken about their artwork, and luckily they couldn't read the sign. Bringing Satan into it is a bit much. Yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to switch around the letters. Satan, Santa, you know, potato, yeah, that's potato. True. Yeah. <laughs> I called Jim, infuriated, but yet again, another work crisis occurred, so he had to quickly hang up. He texted saying it was going to be a late one and not to wait up. I bottled up my anger and decided I'd talk to him about limits with the doll tomorrow since it was his day off. The girls were playing in another room, and I disposed of the ruined artwork and redid the sign, took away the knife, and added a few extra cheerful things. When they returned, I waited for them to point him out so it it wouldn't be obvious. The new and revised note read, Girls, I see your cat, Jingles, got excited about your artwork last night and accidentally ruined it. I brought you back a special, special picture from, the, from Santa. Thank you, Internet. <laughs> Be sure to continue your beautiful behavior today so I can go back to the North Pole with a good report. Always watching, Elfie. 
This worked out perfectly. It increased their spirits for the remainder of the day. That night, I tucked them in and grabbed me a glass of wine and binged some cheesy holiday hallmark. As I sat there, I began to feel... I began to get the feeling of being watched and judged again. Maybe it was the wine. It'll do that. <laughs> wine is very judgmental. It, it is. It's so, judgmental it's like, wine really, is the is worst. Is this your second glass? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so after my third glass and another fake engagement or happy ending, I decided to call it a night. I was woken up in a panic around 3.30 a.m. by Jim saying something had happened in the home. The hot glue gun had been left on and melted through a baby doll head. Oh, my gosh. And just the head. I hadn't even used it today. He oh, then that's asked, weird. Yeah, she used it the day before. He then asked where I put Elfie, and I admittedly told him I had one too many glasses of wine and had forgotten to move him, so he was still on the shelf. I went to the shelf and found he was missing with a new note saying, be back soon, as if he was on a break. <laughs> I laughed at Jim and said, nice, but they were good today. Jim informed me that he'd only just gotten home and hadn't even been in this room yet. He said when he got in, he smelled burning rubber and found the hot glue gun, turned it off, and woke me up. I was not buying this, but there was still no Elfie in sight. I was too tired and groggy to give a care, so I went back to bed. Maybe Elfie had to work overtime at the North Pole because of COVID. That seemed to be a good excuse these days that we're all too familiar with. That is the truth. Yeah, except for it's an inanimate object. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah. The next morning, Jim and I woke up exhausted. Another night of no sleep for the both of us. Lots of, did you hear that? Or, jingles, go to bed. I grabbed my morning meds out of my bedside drawer and found a decapitated baby doll with <gasps> holes melted all over its body. Beside it was a note saying, how do you think this feels? What? I screamed. Pretty terrible. <laughs> and Jim was, and Jim, concerned, asked what was the matter. I then looked at him and said, Nothing. I knew what he was doing. He was trying to freak me out, trying to get a reaction, which explains why Elfie was missing last night. All a part of his mischievous plan. I didn't react. I simply got ready for the day, got ready for my day. Since it was the weekend, the girls slept in a little later. When they finally woke up, I heard Sarah and Kate waking up and giggling in their room. We walked in to say our good mornings and saw that their books and dismembered dolls were scattered all around the floor. Ew. When I'd put them to bed last night, this was not the condition we left the room in. We asked Sarah what happened, and like the typical girl, little girl, she said she didn't know and admitted to nothing. I said, ah, we have a mystery afoot. Well, maybe we can ask Elfie, completely forgetting the fact that he was MIA last night. Katie then pointed, or Kate then pointed to the curtain rod and said, hi, Elfie. When we looked up, we saw Elfie sitting on top of the curtain rod holding a baby doll arm with a note saying, uh, with a note that said, Elfie's always watching. Ew. Jim and I cleaned up the mess and acted normal, saying Elfie was being silly. But as soon as we walked out, we immediately accused each other of this extreme mischievous act along with the previous incidents, but we both denied and trust that it isn't wasn't each other. Not to mention we had somewhat of a night or somewhat of a solid alibi last night since uh -huh. we both struggled to sleep. This was getting a bit strange and disturbing. Being the skeptics we were, we weren't the kind of people to assume this was something as silly as a ghost, but really who else could be doing this? The girls were much too small to climb that uh, climb to the top of the curtain rod. And when we came into the main part of, part of the house, 
there were snowflakes hanging from everywhere. Oh, my gosh. It honestly looked magical. Maybe Elfie really was real. Maybe he wasn't too bad. Maybe he was trying to catch mine and Jim's sense of humor. So that night, Jim and I snuck into the girls' room after bed and grabbed Elfie for our routine hiding. Before hiding him, we wanted to try communicating with him. It seemed harmless. We downloaded a stupid ghost communicating app on our phone (laughs) and placed him in between us. At first, it started spouting out words like ghost or dead. So we thought, yeah, this shit's rigged. Glad I spent $4.99 on this one. We then got up, leaving the app running with Elfie to grab some popcorn. We could easily hear it from the kitchen, and as soon as we got up, it said snack. Okay, coincidence. We laughed and asked Elfie if he wanted a snack. The app then replied by saying, blood, soul. Okay, again, probably rigged to scare the shit out of you. Right. So we asked, who are we speaking with? It then replied, Elfie. What? Okay, that's not a coincidence. What do you want, Elfie? Mischief, it replied. Are you here to hurt us? But no reply. Elfie, are you having fun causing mischief? Yes, it replied. This put our minds a bit at ease, but also the thought of a tiny little doll running around our home while we slept doing shit was terrifying. Jim and I put out cameras around the home to see if Elfie was really no harm. This was easy since we'd had our fair share of Bluetooth baby monitors didn't really, that didn't really work out and never really got around to selling them. The plan was to put out one camera in the living room, kitchen hall, our room, and the girls already had a monitor. So we put Elfie sitting on a popcorn tin we'd bought for the festivities and went straight to bed. After these new discoveries, I'm sure you can imagine we felt very uneasy. More paranoia, more random noises, and constant checking on our phones and ca- for the camera alerts. Around 3 a.m., again, we suddenly were woken up to jingles growling. And you guys probably should cover your ears. To jingles growling and hissing at something then to him screaming like he was in pain we ran out to see what happened and a trail of snowflakes covered in red led us to jingles lying dead in the middle of the living room floor next to smiling still elfie holding a bloody piece of a broken plate or something ew this was not something nice in our home it was something dark and dangerous we were heartbroken from the loss of jingles we'd had him for almost eight years now We'd put him in a bag and in a box and set him outside until the girls woke up so we could have a proper funeral with a less gruesome story. Oh my gosh, Bree. Next, we had to dispose of Elfie. Elfie was a threat to our family. He had been evicted. Jim took Elfie and brought him to the local dump where he could not terrorize another family again. When Jim got home, we went to bed trying to clear this trauma from our minds. When Luckily, morning- they found it before the girls before, did. Yeah. When morning came, Sarah and Kate jumped on their bed telling us to come see what Elfie had done. Jim and I looked at each other thinking, crap, we missed something. Through another now terrifyingly suspenseful snowflake path, we were brought to the girls' room again. Popcorn was everywhere, along with beautiful the beautiful ceramic cross gifted at Sarah's first baptism shattered on the ground in a <gasps> message. This time, written on the wall, red and wet, that said, Elfie's always watching. You two will do nicely. No, breathe. Then at the center of it all, making what appeared to be snow angels in glass, was Elfie holding the same murder weapon used on poor Jingles. Again, the girls were too young to understand the severity of this chaotic nightmare, so we did our best to remain calm and clean up the mess. 
While I took care of the girls, Jim contacted a local church asking for someone to come out immediately. Of course, the priest was out on a mission and couldn't come for two days. So in the meantime, we saged Elfie's ass and recited the Lord's Prayer. Thank you, YouTube. <laughs> we then put Elfie. I only have like four more pages left. You're good. We then put Elfie in the garage, which was the furthest we could get him away from us. Everywhere online said not to burn or destroy it. So we figured this would be our safest bet. When nap time rolled around, I prepped dinner while Jim researched everything of possessed items. Everything he'd found seemed to be exactly what we were dealing with. After I cut up some fresh veggies, the fire alarm sounded. There was no smoke or smell of smoke, and the batteries were just replaced last month. We'd invest we investigated. Jim headed downstairs toward the garage, and I checked on the girls. As, I, as it appeared on the monitors, they were sound asleep. Somehow, kids sleep through everything. My signal to run out was the sound of water over boiling on the stove. Me too. <laughs> Completely forgetting the big picture, I turned down the eye on the stove to low, drained the veggies, and added some butter. Done. Talking to myself out loud, I realized Jim was still investigating, so I went to go check on him. When I went downstairs, I saw that the garage, the door to the garage was open. Smoke and s the smell of exhaust lingered into the home, <gasps> realizing this was the carbon monoxide alarm, not the smoke alarm. Oh, my gosh. Something was wrong. The car was running, and Jim was lying on the floor under some heavy boxes we stored on top on the top shelves. Oh, my gosh. Thank God he appeared to be breathing. I quickly opened the garage door, turned off the car, and added and aided Jim calling 911. When they arrived on the scene, they were able to get him back to good, giving him oxygen and diagnosing him with a minor concussion. After they left, I made him relax, and I went into the garage to check on Elfie. As and I looked girls. up, they were in their room sleeping. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As I looked up, there he was in the rafters behind where the heavy boxes last sat. Breathe. That's what fell on him. That's how they fell. There was no way our family could endure this for another day. Something had to be done. We called a psychic. When we told him of our situation, he was intrigued. Of course. <laughs> Freaking talking elf. Elf I mean, on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he arrived at the home and expressed an overpowering feeling of dread and exhaustion. When he sat down with Elfie, he found that this was indeed something demonic. Something angry. Something that wanted to hurt us, which was concerning, but wanted to take the girls. <gasps> He found out that this entity was placed here by someone trying to rid another home or item of it. He then said that whatever it is didn't want him here and he felt that he should leave. Before his departure, though, he did aid us in staging the home properly. He did warn us that this may make it worse before it gets better, but we were desperate. In attempts not to anger, we felt it was best to put Elfie out like we normally did, so we put him high on a shelf in the living room area. We only had to endure this for two more nights. We could do this. Yeah. As the evening went on, we resumed our normal duties. Meals, bath, and bed. Jim was exhausted, so he took off the next few days. Him and I hung out in the living room, distracting ourselves with a bit of holiday specials. As we sat there, we could feel his judgment, his rage. It was unsettling and so hard to act normal, especially since Jim already seemed off. He seemed furious. I stepped out for a bathroom break, and I heard a crash, then Jim yelling and cursing. I command you to leave my f***ing house. I command you to leave my family, you stupid damn elf. When I reached the living room, I found Jim pinning Elfie to the ground with a knife puncturing his plastic skull. The vase next to Elfie had suddenly gotten thrown off the shelf and shattered 
and shattered, and Jim reacted. Oh my gosh. I grabbed Jim and pulled him away. This is not the answer. This is not going to make this is going to make matters worse. Let's go to bed, I said. Yet another night of being too terrified to close my eyes, but as the time passed, my eyelids got so heavy, impossible to keep open, and then I was out. I don't know how they didn't have the girls sleep with them. I know, right? I would. Feeling like no time had passed, my eyes shot open. The clock said 3 a.m. on the dot. I could see glowing from the living room, and Jim was missing. I checked the monitor to the girls' room, and they were also missing. I could hear faint giggling in the living room, walking along... Faint giggling in the living room. Walking along the snowflake path that led me to the living room, I saw it was illuminated by candles and the smell of copper and rotten meat. It made me want to throw up. The girls were wearing white nightgowns covered in, yep, you guessed it, blood. Dancing (gasps) in a ring around the Rosie's type of fashion, enchanting something I couldn't understand, but it seemed to carry the tune of jingle bells. Linking the two was Elfie in each of their hands, with the gaping hole left by jim in his head smiling staring and judging then sarah reached out and said come join us mommy elfie says you can come play girls where's daddy i asked they laughed they laughed and said come play where's where's daddy i demanded elfie says he's the present sarah replied while pointing under the tree and underneath was a beautiful, sparkling engagement ring. Must be three carrots. Yes, I screamed. Yes, I will. And wetness poured onto my pants. And just like that, I jumped up and I found I had fallen asleep to the Hallmark Channel. My third glass of wine spilling into my lap. I ran and grabbed a towel. And as I cleaned off the couch and get to get a new pair of pants, I looked up and there he was, Elfie. Elfie, who was not possessed. Elfie, who brought nothing but sheer imagination and wonder into our lives each holiday. Some more than others. But this was just a terrible nightmare brought on our pranking feud. Before going to bed, I realized I hadn't moved him and placed him on the tree with a note directing the girls to find candy canes around the home and decorating the tree with them, ending it with the typical, Elfie's always watching. In the morning, Jim and I woke up to the girls excitedly jumping on the bed, saying that Elfie had brought them candy canes to decorate the tree with. When we came came out, it felt like another nightmare beginning, though. More snowflakes. I cautiously looked at Jim and he winked as a way of confirming that it was his little addition to the setup. After disclosing my nightmare, we agreed to calm down the mischievous hiding of Elfie and to further put our minds at ease, we secretly switched our second-hand Elfie for a new one from the store and sold him. Even so, after the holiday season, I never looked at another elf the same. It haunted me beyond belief. My mind made me feel uneasy around it. So note to parents hiding your elf on the shelf for children, remember the staring, smiling, and judging. Oh, and Elfie is always watching. I didn't like that. (laughs) 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 I... Did it confuse the shit out of you for a second? Yeah, I was like... Do you realize what happened? She was... It was was that night when she was watching Hallmark. Yeah. But, and and that's when everything kind of turned, but yeah. what about the ring? Because she was watching the engagements on oh, Hallmark. Oh, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, she was, there was supposed to be a body underneath the tree, but yeah. there ended up being a ring there, and she was like, oh, wait a second, this doesn't belong in my dream. Oh, my god! Do you know where I found this? No. My brain. You wrote this? Yeah. 
<laughs> I was looking everywhere for like an elf on the shelf story. Like either the stories were like completely deranged. Like one story had a kid who cut off his own his brother's face and started wearing it around the house because Ooh. the elf on the shelf like judged him. Yeah. And I was like, that's too dark. Yeah. And no. And I was like, I could write one on my own. And I, I really freaked myself out and I freaked my sister out and Josh. <laughs> now we're afraid of we're afraid of Hangry. That was so good. Thank you. Thank you. I'm really proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> I had so much fun with it. You can do whatever you want with it. Yeah. Oh, wow. That was a great present for our Thank listeners. You. Thank oh, you, guys. That wow. was my first original. That was really good. You, you should, should write your own. It's a lot of fun. You should put that out. You should. You should. I have to edit it some more, but yeah. Like, I might do that. Put on creepypasta. Creepypasta. That's yeah. what I was thinking. Oh, that was so good. Thank you. <laughs> It was long, but <laughs> I had it could have gone on so much longer, and oh, I was yeah. like, "That was why I was like, I'm gonna M Night Shyamalan these people, and I'm gonna cut it off just like that." I wow, I really thought that they like they were the kids were gonna end up killing the I thought, parents. Yeah. That's what I was gonna do. Oh. But then I was like, this needs to end now. You made the cat die. I know. Because I, I, I was telling my sister this because before the girls' names, they were Kate and Sarah in the story. But before yeah. they were, uh, they were, it was like, is Natasha and then uh, Chandra or, Sh- Sh- I don't know, Sandra. Charlene or something. Yeah. It was it was names that were kind of like Charlotte and Natalie. Yeah. But uh, I Josh is like you need to change those, and I'm like yeah, it's kind of messing with my mind. My <laughs> sister's like poor Robin Sparkles. <laughs> She's like how could you kill your cat off? <laughs> it's like Jiggles was a precious cat. Eight years. You know what's funny is when you were talking about them going up and downstairs and yeah, stuff like you're that. Yeah, my house. I was picturing your that's, house. That's what I had to do. I had to put myself in my house to, to make it make sense in my brain, yeah. Yeah. which is weird. But, like, I had to – that's how – that's the only way I can make it make sense. And uh, another thing was – Oh, and Jim was Josh. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other thing was the, the baby monitors. I pictured your baby yeah. monitors, <laughs> which was funny. I don't know why. <laughs> And then another thing was, um, oh, Kate and Sarah is very close to my sister's names. Oh, Katie <laughs> and Sarah. I didn't even think of that. Well, I was like, I'll do May and Ray. And I was like, no, because she's going to get that. I want to I want to tell her at the end that it's me. So that was I loved my story. It. Thank you so much. That was so good. Now everybody's going to be terrified of their elf on the shelves. You're welcome. As they should be. Well, um, and maybe it's not over yet. Elfie's still out there, guys. He's been put in the second hand. To follow us, we are on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, Snapchat, and Facebook. We also have a Facebook group, The Neighborhood, where you can join and become a part of The Neighborhood. Just search for our handle at WWTN Podcast to, subscri- to subscribe to the show on our website, whatswiththeneighbors.com. That's where you can find all of what I just mentioned, along with our merch, which is available for purchase. On there, you can also find a link to our Patreon, which is and be on the donor bus. That's at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, forward slash WWTN podcast. For $5 a month, you can get our unedited video episodes early and exclusive content. For $3 a month, you can get our audio episodes, early exclusive content, and both tiers offer a free WW 
TN Magnet when you sign up. What up? Feel free to slide into our DMs with any questions, comments, or story suggestions. We are always attempting accepting your personal true crime, paranormal, and neighborhood stories for our occasional listener story episodes. You can send that any of that to wwtnpodcast at gmail.com. So, Brie, I... I'm, like, super hyped up right now because I was so excited. I've been, I've been waiting to tell you that story for, like, a while. Like, I over love a week it. now. I am so... I love it. I'm so I, glad you liked it. I love it. You should definitely turn that into a short uh, story. I'm going to... I'm going to... I'm going to... You should. Just wait for next year. Okay. Okay. You know what? Maybe she falls asleep again. Or maybe she doesn't. Maybe he's real. Yep. Or maybe it's, like, in a... Maybe it's not in Midnight Shyamalan. Maybe it's Inception where it's like a dream within a dream and what's it's a been a dream. What's what's a Shyamalan? In Night Shyamalan, it's the guy who makes the movies that have the crazy like blow your mind endings like Split or The Sixth Sense. Oh, yeah. okay. In Night Shyamalan, a ding dong. Sorry. <laughs> Again, I'm like really hyped up right now. <laughs> I loved it. Thank you for okay. sharing. I'm really I... excited to hear yours. Okay, so mine is very long. It's okay. But mine was 14 pages. Wow, that's really thick. Stop looking at it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I eventually just had to, like, stop myself from doing, re- doing research because I was like, I- this is a e- never-ending hole here. Ooh. So I wanted to tell you about Jean Benet Ramsey. <gasps> Ooh, see, I don't know this and one. I'm really excited because yes, you don't know this one, and everyone I, like, knows. This I know one. I you 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 told me that it's a really popular one, but yes. like I've never heard of it. The only reason I've heard of it is because you said the Katy Perry thing. Yes, and so Jean Benet Ramsey is an over like someone said at the bazaar, like it's beaten you know a dead horse to death, sort of thing, and. That's okay, and whatever, blah, blah, blah. But I wanted to do something that was uh, familiar with everyone else for the Christmas day, for Christmas. Because she actually died on Christmas. Oh. So, or the 26th, it's not, they can't determine. I was going to say, so did Jesus, but no, Jesus was born on Christmas Day. Jesus was actually born in June. he was born, yeah. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, Jean-Benet Ramsey... What? In June? Yeah, and uh, the wise men, like, showed up in December. Oh, they're really late. Come here. Well, yeah, they had to walk, Bree. They were walking and on camels. They're, like, anyways... I'm not, I'm not getting into this with you right now. So, in Boulder, Colorado, John, John Ramsey was a prominent businessman and president of a com- computer company. His wife was a former pageant winner for West Vir- Virginia. They had their son, Burke, who was nine at the time, and their daughter, Jean Benet, who was six. And I think I mentioned this later, but do you want to know why they named her Jean Benet? Uh, yes, actually. Because it is her dad's first and middle name combined. That's what I kind of figured is something having to do with her dad's name. Yeah, her dad's name is John Benet Ramsey. So her name is Jean Benet Ramsey. So her first name is Jean Benet. Yes. Okay. Okay. And instead of J O H N, like her dad's, it's it's J O with a and a little prosopy hyphenate or whatever. J O N Benet. 
but the that it's like a little apostrophe thing okay over yeah the yeah. O yeah to be jean jean bonnet so uh jean bonnet was six at the time hoping for their daughter patsy to follow hoping for their daughter to follow in her mother's footsteps patsy uh, they put Jean Benet in every beauty pageant they could th- get their hands on, and she even won many of them. Nice. Where was she, this? This was in Colorado. Boulder, Colorado. Okay. okay, that's what I thought. So, uh, actually, from what I was reading, is that Jean Benet actually won every single pageant. Dang. But one of the documentaries said she won many of them. So I just kind of just to make sure that humble I'm her. Here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, John and Patsy and their family were perfect on paper. They were wealthy, attractive, and well-mannered. Christmas at their house was a holiday in itself. They had a Christmas tree in every room in their 7,000-square-foot house. Oh, my gosh. They must be rich. Yeah, I was about to say, what the <laughs> heck did they do? Uh, well, her dad was uh, the president of a computer company. So. Oh, okay, Carrie. Um, and so they made it like an entire season of just celebrating christmas and whatnot so christmas day after spending hours opening presents the ramsey's family went over to their friend's house the whites for dinner they were super close with this family and trusted them after dinner the ramsey family went home and burke went straight to bed john benet fell asleep in the car so she was carried to bed uh, Thursday, December 26, 1996, Patsy Ramsey goes downstairs in the back stairs of their home because they had two sets of stairs because they were rich. <laughs> um, at 5.30 in the morning to make a pot of coffee and find a three-page long handwritten ransom note on the stairs. The ransom note asked for the money to be in a brown paper bag and explained that the delivery would be exhausting so they should get some rest. What? Patsy called 911. So this is Patsy's 911 call. 
There were several several police officers and detectives at the scene by the time the officer the call was supposed to come in, but unfortunately it never did. Patsy also called literally every single friend after she called 911. Then she started calling all of her friends and saying, come over. So, like, what are they going to do? Dozens of people came over, Brie, at their house. And all these people are, like, hearing about what happened. And they don't know what to do. So, they start cleaning stuff. Dusting the house, cleaning the kitchen. It's a crime scene. The whole house is a crime scene, but they start cleaning. And the officers didn't stop them because they didn't realize, like, that they needed to, like, stop people. Yeah. Boulder, Colorado wasn't used to homicides or kidnappings and stuff like that. So they they weren't experienced. Um, And, like, where the kitchen like they were cleaning the kitchen where the note supposedly may have been written right because it was their stationery that they used that the house the the ramsey stationery it was their stationery so it could have been written at the kitchen table right, right. it was sprayed down and wiped down and swept up oh so and they mopped the tons floor. of evidence oh so That was, like, a big red flag right there. The supervisor detective on the case had admitted to making this mistake of letting people come in and clean things up. Um, He admitted to how wrong it was of him and, you know, apologized. So the detectives and all of the officers, except for one, left the home to gather their heads and meet with the FBI and make a new plan of attack. They left one officer there, Linda Art, and she had zero experience in missing persons, let alone a homicide. Oh, great. And they didn't know, you know? Right. uh, So she's never been on a case like this. She had no experience. She was like, uh, okay, John and your friend, uh, why don't you guys go look for things that are out of the ordinary? Yeah, well... Go go go! Double check your mess ups. Yeah, yeah, that's basically what she did. <laughs> yeah. She was like, "Go look for something," and which is a big no-no. No one should be looking for evidence. Right. No one should for touch officers. anything. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, mainly because what if John or his friend is a suspect? They could be tampering right. with their own evidence. So John and his friends started in the basement, which has one room down there. They opened the door to the room, and that's where they found Jean Benet. John screamed and brought her upstairs. He, him grabbing her body and bringing her upstairs, hindered the case tremendously. Not only did he tamper with evidence, but doing so, he also placed a sheet. He's biting my leg. Placed a sheet over her body. Once she was upstairs, which allowed whatever was on the sheet to now be on her body. Okay. So they could have added DNA, anything, fibers. And so they were like, oh, my God, you did what? I don't know. So a paint, a piece of a paintbrush was used in making a garrote. I don't know if you know what that is. It's like... You you tie a string around a piece of like a, a piece of wood or something like that and you use it to tighten things. Like mm, if you 
I don't know how to explain it. And I've done it before myself. Yeah, can you Google it? Thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, da, 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 so, so this garrote was more than likely used to help tighten the string around Jean Benet's neck because she had, she was strangled by something, um, by a piece of string. The police. That's, oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I just, I don't know how to explain it. I've used it myself on things, but. On things? I don't remember what. Because this comes out like there's a lot of people who strangle people with these. No, 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 Bray. That's, I can't remember what we used it for. Came up as garrote weapon. It is a weapon. Yeah. I just can't remember what we used it for. I feel like we were camping and we used it. Well, that doesn't make sense because I don't camp. Oh, I that <laughs> makes sense. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> Wait, that just something doesn't add up here. Maybe I used it in a game. I don't know. Anyways, so. That makes sense. Okay, so the police searched their home, even though the parents were like, they're they were like, well, it feels like this is like an insider job. And the, the parents were like, no, search the home, blah, blah, blah. The police reported overhearing John, the father, making travel arra- arrangements af- hours after he discovered his daughter dead in their basement. What? And within the same hour of his travel arrangements, the two hired two separate defense attorneys for both the father and the mother. Like against each other? Just just, to back them up. Yes. Uh, Police told the parents they need to stay in town to help the case, and they agreed, but only if they can be together during any of the interviews. And they're like, that's weird, but okay. The parents also denied the police or even psychologists to talk with Burke, the brother. And on December 27th, two days after the murder... John, Patsy, and their son, Burke, were asked to go down to the police station to give DNA samples and handwriting samples. And within the week of the discovery of their daughter's death, they hired a media consultant and went on national television. Oh, they're getting attention now. Jean Benet's autopsy finally came back, and it was revealed that she... He's coming out now. (laughs) (laughs) What you got, Dad? Mmm. Peanut butter (laughs) M&M's. Uh, John Benet's autopsy finally came back and it was revealed that she was hit in the head with a heavy object, which fractured her skull and then her brain swelled, which meant she was still alive. Yes, she was still alive. And then she was strangled, which was the cause of her death. Oh my gosh. She was a baby. I know. She also had scrapes all over her body and signs of sexual assault. Oh, my gosh. The most puzzling discovery, though, was they discovered undissected pineapple in her stomach, which means that she had just eaten it not too soon before she died. Which no one from the party that the the the, the Christmas party, the that, Christmas went party that they went to could remember Jean Benet having any uh, pineapple. At the house, during the investigation, there was a bowl of pineapple with a spoon in it. The police believed because she was asleep when they arrived home that she had pineapple in her stomach. Um, Sorry. The police believed because she was asleep when they arrived home 
but she had pineapple in her stomach. Whoever abducted her had fed her pineapple before she was murdered. They also suspected that whoever made the ransom note knew the family often used the back stairway to go to the kitchen. Because otherwise, why would you put it in the back stairway? And the ransom note was much longer than a usual ransom note, which makes the demands, uh, to make the demands clear. They're like a three-page long ransom note. That's weird. Yeah. Normally, it's like a sentence or two. Right. Also, the 1800 Give me a million dollars or the girl gets it. Yes. Also, the $118,000 amount was an odd number. Usually, the, the demands are like in the millions. And normally, in the 10... Like yeah, like a solid number yeah, range. Yeah, like in the 10... Not 18. Yeah, 10 round numbers. Just rounded like up 10, to 20. 20 30. Yeah. It also was the exact amount that John received as a bonus that year at work. Interesting. Very bizarre. So, another link that they were able to make was the ink from the note matched to a specific pen in the house and paper it was written on was made by the same pad of paper Patsy owned. So, everything was in the house. Everything was in the house. And on Tuesday, December 31st, over 200 family members attended Jean Benet's funeral at the family's former church in Atlanta. That seems like a lot um, of... Actually, that uh, I feel like it. I feel like it would have been more. Yeah, I don't know. But her body was buried next to her half sister in Atlanta that was killed in a car accident four years prior. Oh, she had a sister that died. A half sister. Yeah. Okay. Jean Benet or John and Patsy hired their own private investigator for the case of the murder of their daughter, and even offered a, a, a reward for any information regarding their daughter's murder. In the beginning of January, the next year, investigators went to the family's summer home in Michigan, hoping to find some sort of answers, but they came up empty-handed. Mm, wish I had a summer home. I know. That wasn't in Alaska. <laughs> <laughs> so, at this point, it had been a month since the murder of Jean Benet, and police still did not have any suspects. However, after a handwriting specialist takes a look at the family's handwritings compared to the ransom note, she notices that the mother may have possibly written the note with over 200 similarities between her sample wow. she gave and the ransom note. That's wow. Yeah. The reasoning from John and Pants- Patsy regarding the similarities of the note was exactly the same and definitely rehearsed. They both claimed, well, a woman must have written it. Oh, both her and her husband's reactions were the same? Yes. Oh, okay. That's Which is okay, fine, whatever. Maybe he's covering for her, right. but also like I know that your handwriting and my handwriting are very different. Yeah. So, that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. yeah. So, the parents also during the interrogation tried to point the figure finger at literally anyone john suggested how their friend that hosted the christmas dinner party priscilla white and was jealous of patsy so maybe she did it okay now, luckily now the, they're pointing out fingers and their friends yes that they invited over anyone, to their house yeah and uh luckily the whites were cleared they're like their alibi checked out. Nothing. Not good friends anymore. No kidding, right? You <laughs> lost, probably lost a lot of friends. 
Um, the Ramses also pointed out a hundred thousand or put out a hundred thousand dollar reward for the arrest of whoever murdered their daughter, which doesn't surprise me. I would also do that. So Burke, the brother, had a known jealousy for Jean, Jean Benet. Not only was she named after her father, she had his first, like I said, she had his first and middle name as her first name and her mother's name as her middle name. And Burke is just like a dud, I guess. Okay. I don't, know. I don't mean anything. Yeah. Uh, she also received a tremendous amount of attention for her modeling. Burke was known to hurt his sister she had she even had a scar under her eye from where he hit her with a golf club oh jeez yeah and it was known that he would it was known he had hurt his sister the night jean benet was murdered and how old he was nine and she was six yeah but yeah there was also a baseball bat found at the crime scene which the blunt part of it is the exact same size of the gash in her head. Okay, okay. It is theory theorized. theorized. The parent found the parents found out that he hurt her, so they helped cover up the crime and staged a kidnapping. Oh. So it it said that her mother might have also killed her. It was known that Patsy was a super strict mom and Jean Benet would often wet her bed. And, and so that would, like, her, Patsy would, like, punish her for this, which is really sad. Aww, it's not something she's that only, they can like, control. six. They can't control it when they're asleep. Yeah. So, um, it, the theory is that Jean Benet wet her bed in the middle of the night and her mom punished her and accidentally killed her, but she covered it and staged it as a kidnapping instead. Did they find, like, pee or anything in the bed? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Did you so, already say that? I'm sorry. No. Okay. No, 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 I didn't. But a year after the murder, Burke was finally allowed to be interviewed because the parents refused to let him be interviewed. Some of the questions the investigators were asking Burke clearly made him uncomfortable. You were able to tell by his body language. He was, um, he would tense up. And at one point, he actually goes into a fetal position and tries to cover himself up. They weren't able to determine if it was because he was acting this way because he knew something or if it just made him feel uncomfortable. Right. I can't believe you're letting him do that. I I don't know what else to do. (laughs) I'm wondering when he's going to figure out that it's not going to come off. (laughs) Never. I think he just realized it. He's like, God dang it. (laughs) Another thing that they found strange was some questions he would answer with not that i recall which was the same answers his mom would give him give during her questioning interesting this wouldn't be too strange if he wasn't allowed to be if he was allowed to be interviewed right away but the parents had a whole year to coach him on what to say right however everything he gave the investigators didn't help move the investigation along so i'm gonna back up a little bit because we're a year out right now. Right. Reverse, reverse. Uh, three months after the murder, a more more evidence. Oh, sorry. Uh, three months after the murder, a more experienced investigator was brought in, Lou. Good. He had a 100% success rate. 
and one of the top investigators in Colorado. Looking back at the crime scene photos, he was able to find a broken window that John, the dad, had broken months prior because he got locked out of the mansion, but he never replaced it. Initially, the Boulder police determined it was too small for anyone to fit through, but Lou was able to debunk that by going through it himself on camera. Okay, and he's a grown man. Yeah. Uh, he also found a blue suitcase below the window that seemed out of place. And once again, the Boulder police thought it was insignificant. However, the family and the housekeeper had said it didn't belong to the Ramseys and it wasn't there before the murder, but it was there after the murder. Okay. He weird. also found a partial footprint in the cement. It was determined that the footprint belonged to a high-tech boot, which don't ask me what that is. I have no idea. What? How was their footprint still in the cement three months later? Like I'm guessing like mud or oh, or okay, dirt maybe, or something. Yeah. Okay. Uh he also found a few marks on Jean Benet's neck and arm, which was determined that the those marks belonged to a stun gun. So with this new evidence, Lou was convinced an intruder had murdered Jean Benet. So Lou uh, so Lou's conclusion was this. The Ramseys opened Christmas presents on Christmas Day and they went over to the White's house for dinner. That is when the intruder entered the home through the broken window. He wrote the ransom note and hid in the basement for the family to come home and go to bed. It is then the intruder entered Jean Benet's room, used the stun gun to knock her out. He was going to use the suitcase to remove her from the house, but when the suitcase wouldn't go through the broken window, he panicked, sexually assaulted her, knocked her with a blunt force object, causing her to die. Then he escaped through the window. Correct. DNA was also found on her underwear that did not match anyone in the home's, in the home's DNA. So another suspect... Was possibly Santa Claus. I'm not joking. So a family friend. Bill McReynolds. Was a retired journalism. He had a big bushy beard. And a white and white hair. He played Santa Claus. At their family parties for years. Jean Benet loved Bill. Loved him. She was in awe of him. And even gave him a personal tour of their home at one point. John, the father, was suspicious of Bill from the very beginning. He said something didn't sit right with him. He said when Bill went to the memorial service, Bill didn't even want to hug the mom. He kind of, like, pushed her away, maybe, like, out of remorse. Uh, another thing that raised some flag is Bill went on the Today Show only a week after uh, Jean Benet's death, which was really weird. Like, obviously, to gain attention, he said something super weird. We don't celebrate children enough, which was kind of creepy. This case, if he did do it, it would explain how she was able to sit down in the middle of the night and eat pineapple without causing commotion because she trusted him so much. They also discovered a note that he had given her before christmas that said something special is going to happen to you after christmas when they looked into bill's background they discovered that bill's daughter and her friend were kidnapped and her friend was molested by the kidnapper and her and that was 22 years prior to the date of jean benet's death um also bill's wife wrote a play 
about a little girl that was tortured and murdered in her own basement. Which is really weird, Brie. When police brought Bill in for investigation, he said he was an hour and a half away from the house having dinner with his family. They also discovered a month and a half before the murder, he had lung and heart surgery. So he was pretty frail. His DNA was not found at the murder, the crime scene. So uh, he was ultimately cleared as a suspect. So, Valentine's Day, 1997, 43-year-old John Kennedy, who owned a salvage yard in Boulder, found police on his property. They told him 26-year-old Michael Helgoth had died. Michael worked in his yard pulling parts and lived in a trailer on the property. They discovered he had shot himself. Around that time is when the reward of the family put, was put out for the leads of the murder. And uh, John Kennedy realized Michael may have been linked to the murder. So he recalled having a conversation with uh, Michael where Michael said he and his friend are going to make roughly five, fifty, or $60,000 each. And they were able to finish their car projects. And uh, Mr. Kennedy was like, hmm... That sounds like a lot of money to come into for absolutely a weird reason, like in a weird way. He's like, I don't want anything to know. I don't want to know how you're getting this money. So uh, in January after Christmas, John asked Kennedy or blah, 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 John Kennedy asked Michael, hey, did you ever get that money? Like you're going to have this killer deal. How did it go? Do you have that money now? And uh, Michael was like, oh yeah, no, things went sideways and it didn't work out. And so John was like, that's weird. Michael also would torture animals for fun, shooting cats or snapping their necks. He also had a criminal past of assaulting young girls. Yeah, fun. So John Kennedy called the, called the police and he was like, listen, Michael once told him, I wonder what it's like to crack a skull. Um, so the police investigated the scene of Michael's death. They found a picture of Jean Bonnet, a stun gun, and high-tech boots. Police believe Michael and his partner attempted to kidnap Jean Bonnet, but it went sideways, and uh, they ended up killing her instead. However, the DNA did not match the DNA. His DNA did not match the DNA at the crime scene. So. August 1998, a grand jury was pulled and they reviewed over 30,000 exhibits of evidence, hoping that there was enough evidence to convict any of the suspects that they have drawn up. The grand jury met for 13 months. That is a long time. And in, in October of 1998, they disbanded. And it came back that there was not enough evidence to indict any suspects. Everyone thought it was going to be the parents. Uh, four years later, on December 12, 2000, the Boulder police got a call from the nearby university police. They had just arrested a 38-year-old male trespassing. Inside his backpack, they found a poem written called Ode to Jean Benet. And they also found a stun gun. Gary 
oh, I'm going to butcher this, Oliva. He was, convi- he was a convicted child molester in Oregon and served fi- time for attempting to strangle his mother with a phone cord. He... In Colorado, he was homeless at the time of Jean Benet's death. He would often stay at the church that offered shelter for the homeless that was only 10 houses down from the mansion. So they suspected he more than likely have seen Jean Benet. The police were looked into Gary and they looked back on evidence of photos of things that happened and whatnot. And at their, the one year, um, light uh, candle light visual that they they had at the mansion they looked at the photos and they found photos of gary at the mansion or at the visual which was really weird because it was a super cold night out and hardly anyone showed up but gary did gary admitted to the police that he had an obsession of jean benet and that is why he wrote a poem about her titled ode to jean benet he also admitted to having dreams about her and even free he even had a shrine dedicated to her he had photos of her printed out from the internet and even took like monopoly money and put photos of her in the middle of the Monopoly money. He claimed that the stun gun was given to him uh, from a friend for his own protection. However, as sick as all of this is, his DNA was not found at the crime scene. There was one der- journalist that was enthralled with this case. He even made a few documentaries about the case. Michael Tracy. Um... He knew everything about the case and had a relationship with Ramses. He started getting strange emails from the guy named Daxus. And even gave details about the crime. And Tracy was like, how do, how does he have this information about the crime? He would mention things that were not public knowledge. Eventually, the emails turned from weird, yucky emails like how much he loves Jean Benet to like, I tried to revive Jean Benet and he denied or and she died in my arms. He claimed he was having sex with Jean Benet mm-hmm, and they would do erotic things to one another. So obviously, Michael, the, the journalist, was like, Mmm, this sounds gross. So he reached out to the DA's office. Lacey, the DA at the time, discovered that Daxus, this Daxus guy knew small details about the case that was not public knowledge. Like how she was wearing underwear that said Wednesday on the day that she died. How there was mucus from her runny nose on, a duct ta- on the duct tape that was over her mouth. And she was wearing a bracelet. So the DA attempted to get him on the phone to pinpoint where he was. So they had Michael Ramsey. Was it Michael Ramsey? No, it's not Michael Ramsey. No. They had this Michael journalist guy make phone calls with him and several and in several of the calls they had this Daxus guy admitted to murdering Jean Benet. However, the call is traced to someone in Thailand. <laughs> uh, and it was pinpointed to a 41 year old male American c- citizen John Mark Carr his first marriage was to a 13 year old girl and the second to was like a 20 something year old woman 
He was also used to be an elementary school teacher until he was arrested for sexual assault of a child in 2001. So he fled the state to Thailand. So obviously they arrested Jean-Marc Carr and they bring him to the airport in Thailand and they extradited him to the U.S. soil. August 29, 2006, the DNA of Jean-Marc Jean Carr does not match the DNA found in Jean Benet's underwear. And since there was no way to place John at the crime scene except for his weird fantasies he made up, they had to release him. So in 2008, a new technology came out called Touch DNA, which was able to pull up anyone that had like touched something. You can match someone's DNA to those fingerprints or something like that. They were able to find this like one piece of DNA that did not match anybody else's DNA on that had already been uh, marked or their DNA samples had been taken. So the parents of Jean Benet were finally exonerated. They were finally released as suspects. And in 2013, news broke about the 1998 grand jury. Because everything, like, whatever happened at the grand jury, it was not released to the public. No one knew about it. And it came out that the grand jury voted to charge... Jean Benet's parents on two counts. The first was abuse of a child, resulting in the death of a child, an accessory to murder. But they were they were never charged, Bree. Yeah. Despite the vote, the DA at the time decided to keep the jury votes a secret and not press charges. Which is like not what he's supposed to do. So some believe that the DA Hunter at the time wanted to protect the Ramses. Some believe he didn't he didn't press charges because the promise a DA makes is that they only prosecute without it, the person without a reasonable doubt and he feels like there wasn't enough evidence even though the jury said that there was. So there was a lot of people were upset about this. So Gordon Coombs who worked with Lacey, the DA at the time in 2008, when they finally released uh, the parents as suspects. Uh, Lacey, the DA at the time. Um, okay, hold on. Let me let me back this up. So in 2008, Lacey, the DA at the time, exonerated the parents, and they said they are no longer suspects. And Gordon Combs, who worked with Lacey, he was a prosecutor, he decided to break his silence and go and release some insider information. He said Mary Lacey, the DA, would bring John Ra John Ramsey, the dad, into her office and close the door for quote-unquote informal interviews. Which is a big no-no. And so they believe that there may have been a relationship between Mary Lacey and John Ramsey. And so they feel like Lacey may have exonerated these this family to protect them. It was also known, yeah, it was also known for the DA's office if anyone, and if any one person didn't believe the intruder theory... You were forced out of the office. If you believe that the parents did it, you were forced out of the office. So they feel like the DA, uh, just because they messed up so bad that they, and, and 
I'm sure the Ramses are in their pockets also. If yeah, uh, that's why they're like, no, if you don't believe the the intruder theory, you know, you're wrong. Um, it was also stated that the touch DNA theory could have been anyone in the house, and not the killer. Because that was their whole theory is like this one tiny little fingerprint is the killer. Those people came over and so it could have been the dad's friend that helped him search the house. He could have touched her and it it could have been anyone at that point. Any of the uh, police officers that ended up showing up. Uh, so regardless of who did it, a young girl died way too soon and hopefully the truth will finally come out. Thank you. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, bestie. Have you checked on your neighbors lately? Breen, Amy, out. Say hi to your cats for us. That was a good one. He's like, please stop. <laughs>